Thanks for checking out the Bridge Podcast. It's not a mistake you found us. We pray God speaks to you today. Check us out Sundays at 10.30 a.m. For more information, go to sfbridge.org. Welcome, everybody. As Heather said, my name is Derek, and uh, for those who were here early on, um, I don't normally just pick up kids like sack of potatoes and pull them off, and so if you're like, what's up with this church? They just manhandle kids. Uh, he's my sack of potatoes, um, and so I kind of get to toss him around in love, of course, and so that that he's even giving me some props back there. That's my son, Ellis. You might hear a few emins, which just means amen in his world, and uh, we have a good time with that. So um, he loves his dad. He loves his mom. Uh, a beautiful pregnant lady up here is my wife. We have number two because uh, we like chaos apparently. And uh, we're ready. And so a few favors to ask you. First and foremost, um, our pastor, I just want to reiterate what Heather says because I know sometimes family can feel a little biased or whatever. Um, it is killing Chris to not be here right now. And so if you're just going, Chris just kicking up his feet and he's having a good time, I assure you the man is not. Okay, He is in a good amount of pain. I've talked with him, um, and so just if you are thinking about it, if you know Pastor Chris, I know um, he's not, he's been on strict orders to kind of pull back from everything, so if you have a word of encouragement, if you're praying for him, just let Heather know, and she'll let you know. The second thing is, um, I'm a youth pastor. I told you this last week. I am a loud person. I am a very loud person, uh, to the point of where I like to embarrass my wife unintentionally, and so if you're in this place right now, and you're going, oh, just get this thing over with, I'm going to ask you a favor of you, okay? Um, just laugh at my jokes, okay? Even if they're not funny, just laugh at my jokes. It makes me feel so much better. I don't wear pink up here because I'm bold. I wear pink up here because my wife thinks I look good in pink, okay? <laughs> don't know why, but when she says, baby, look hot in that, I listen, okay? Short of it being inappropriate, I listen. And so, um, just just laugh at me. Have fun. We're going to have fun in here. Uh, because I'm a youth pastor, I don't like stuffy services. I came from that background, bored me stiff. All I could think about was the pancakes we're having for brunch after church. And so, didn't, do work, didn't work for me, so I'm going to do what worked for me, which was loud, crazy, energetic, and interactive. And so, if you're cool with that, just give me one loud yes. Yes! You guys are the best. You guys are the best. Of course. Last week, I got to get up here and talk about this sermon series called Among Us, which is a video game that a lot of your teenagers might have played. Um, if they didn't, I assure you they're on the next game by now, so don't even try to jump on board. But it's this game where they have to use their brains, which is exciting. It's a game of deductive reasoning where they have to collectively accomplish a task. And while they're trying to accomplish said task, they have a silent imposter, somebody who's in their midst secretly trying to sabotage them. And so the name of the game is trying to accomplish the task and identify the imposter before they kill you all. So it's a really good life lesson, like I said last week. Um, and first joke, you guys failed. Thank you. Yeah, you're so funny, Pastor Derek. Okay. So, literally, we talked about how last week we needed to identify the enemy. How this game of deductive reasoning really is about our life. We are set out to accomplish tasks. Whether it's in our workforce, whether it's in our parenting, or whether it's in a relationship to any degree, we want to accomplish a task in our life. But at the same time, there is a silent enemy. There is an imposter who's trying to make sure that we don't accomplish 
accomplish that task. And so last week I talked about the enemy, and this week I talked about completing that task. I want to tell you, now that we know who we're fighting, now we know what we're going up against, what do we do? What is it, uh, a part of our life that we are meant to accomplish, that we're meant to do? And I would say to you this morning that our task on life really boils down to living a spirit-filled life. And that's just purely Christian lingo of saying, living your life the way God intended it to be. And so I'm going to unpack that a little bit more, but this morning I want to talk to you about an invite I got, an invite of a lifetime when I was 15 years old, okay? At 15, I was looking at my summer plans, it had a lot of Xbox in it, it had a lot of late nights, had a lot of Cheetos, had a lot of Doritos, had a whole bunch of nothing, when I got an invite from my cousin to go to a little place called Boulder, Colorado. Has anyone been to Boulder? Put it on your bucket list right now because Boulder, Colorado is amazing. I was going to show a picture of myself, but um, it was a few years ago, and by a few years ago, I mean a decade ago, literally, and uh, I had braces, I was short, and um, I know if I put that picture up, it will go everywhere, and I know that because my youth students have already done it, okay? I showed them that picture about a year and a half ago, and then for the next two months, I got pictures of my braces face going... I never lived it down. This this beautiful smile you see was not so beautiful before. I could I could uh, make goats look like straight, perfect teeth. It was bad. Okay, back to Boulder. Okay, we went to Boulder. We went hiking. We went rock climbing. Everybody and their mother is active in Colorado. It seems like they go mountain biking. They go hiking. They go downhill skiing. Downhill snowboarding. They do everything. And so we got a little taste of that. We got to go rock climbing on some real rocks, which was exciting. But this one day, uh, my cousin's uncle, who was kind of they live in Boulder. He's a 75 year old man who climbs like 25 mountains a year. He's just a freak of nature. He's awesome. He said, "We are going to go climb a 14er." And I said, "Sweet, let's do it." What's a 14er? He said, "It means it's 14,000 feet above sea level, so we're going to climb that mountain." I said, "You're funny. We're not doing that." He goes, "No, you can do it." I was like. Alright, uh, so we started at early in the morning. We had breakfast. We took off at like 6.30, which is just an ungodly hour, I thought, at the time. But now it's my life and reality, so that's awesome. And so we get to the base of this mountain, and we start the climb. And it's, you know, it's a, it starts off as a really casual kind of walk and a hike where you're stepping on the path, and there's pebbles, and there's these nice little steps. But that's just kind of a tease, alright? Because then the real hike starts, and you're like on this, on this path that's like super switchbacks all the time, really uneven surfaces. And so we started to climb this mountain. And about 45 minutes into the hike, we get up to this really big lake. And there's a whole bunch of people on the trail, like hunched down, like looking. You know, and the bottom towners like, what's going on? And it's super loud. Everyone's trying to hush. And so we, we look through the trees and there are these two bull moose on the far side of the lake who are literally playing. They, they start chasing each other around one of them dips their antlers into the water and splashes the other one. They're trotting around. It is the coolest thing of nature I've ever seen. These two 
bull moose acting like little two-year-olds. And it's, it's just, it's common. It's just, yeah, this is Colorado. So we keep on hiking, and then we get to this place where we're about 8,000 feet above sea level, and there's this freshwater lake that was purely consisting of runoff from a glacier that was melting. And so you get up above the lake, and you can literally see down all the way, like to, to the bottom. It was the most clear, crisp lake, and it is just so serene. You get up there, it's quiet, it's peaceful, it smells crisp and clean. It is amazing. And then we hit the tree line. And for those who have any experience with hiking, the tree line is where you get up to an elevation where trees can no longer grow because there's not enough essential nutrients for those trees to go, which is at 10,000 feet. So you get above the tree line, and all of a sudden, this lush vegetation turns into sharp, jagged rocks. And so I wish I had the picture up here because it's crazy. So for the last 3,000 feet, we split off because half the group could not breathe because the oxygen wasn't enough up there. And so I was like, you know what? We're this far. We're going to the stinking top. All right. We didn't come this way. We're not. We're not just gonna bow down and say this is good enough. We're going to the top. Okay. So for the next hour and a half, we are traversing these jagged, nasty rocks, like going up sideways on this hill. Our shins got bloody. Like it was just crazy. And then we got to the top. And standing on a little tiny square about the size of this rug, we stood on the top of this mountain, and you lean over like this, and all you could see was thousands of feet down. Is anyone's palms getting sweaty in here? Those who are scared of heights are like, I don't like that. All you guys are like, yes, let's get on that, okay? It was the most powerful feeling I've ever had of just standing up on this mountain. But what I want to tell you about this morning is on the way down, you have all of this crazy adrenaline. Like, I just, I just climbed a stinking mountain. This is awesome. But you're so fixated on what you just saw that you're, just, you're booking it down the mountain. And when you get down to the bottom, your body just gives. Like you got nothing left. You you got jello for legs. And you look back where you just came from, having your back to it for the last hour and a half climbing down. And you see a peak way up there. And you realize, I was just up there. We just climbed this entire mountain. And we just got to the top. I just accomplished something. And I realized in my life ever since that moment that our entire lives are built on that experience. I want to get to the top. It's about the destination for us as human beings, right? We want to set a goal. We want to set an accomplishment. And we want to get to the top by any means necessary. When our, we, we, we think to ourselves, when I get to this point, when I get to this peak, when I get to this summit of my life, then everything will perfectly fall into place. When my kids are old enough to sleep through the night, then we'll have made it. Then we'll have arrived. When my kids are finally out of braces and I'm not sporking over over $10,000 for straight teeth, then we can actually get the stuff we want, and then we'll make it. When I land that job that I've been wanting, when I climb that corporate ladder, and I can finally be the executive, I can finally be the boss that I want to be, then everything in my life will be so perfect, so euphoric, that nothing bad can possibly happen to me, right? And we set these we set these destinations, and what happens when you get there? 
was awesome for a moment. Oh, sweet, we made it. What's next? Right? If that's what happened in my life, I thought, you know what? I can't wait. I remember being at 15, 16, when I'm just working these brutal jobs, where you're working 70, 80, 90 hours a week in the blazing sun, you're like, I can't wait until I have a job where I can sit in the air conditioning, I can get a salary, it's going to be awesome. And then you get into the real world and you realize, oh, there's a few other things in life that are a little bit more challenging than a summer job, right? And then we had our first son, and you're like, man, when he can sleep through the night, I remember as a newborn going, I'm never sleeping again. Like, we're not going to make it, okay? We're dead. Literally, I thought that. I was like, am I ever going to sleep again in my entire life? And then my son got to that threshold where he started sleeping through the night, and you're kind of like, oh, I can sleep again. What happens when he's a teenager? You start to have all, all of a sudden you get to this level and you get to this point where you're like, sweet, we've made it! And then you realize we're not even up to the mountain yet. Like, we have these destinations in our life. And can I tell you something that's not encouraging at all? When you set your life on a destination, you will never ever be satisfied if that's your only goal. Because the moment you get to that destination, Either you look back and you realize you missed out on everything behind you and you got here and now you are years down the road. Or you realize that after a little bit, you're no longer satisfied. And now there's a new destination. Now there's a new place. Now there's a new mountain to climb. And so I've learned painstakingly over my life thus far that it's never about the destination in the first place. It's about the journey. I loved climbing that mountain. I loved that experience. It was hard. It was crazy. But can I tell you, getting to the peak was a small part of it. It was awesome. It was surreal to go, man, we did this. It was surreal to get up that high and go, look at how far I can see. And that feeling of being 14,000 feet above sea level is crazy. And that feeling in your gut is awesome. But that's not what I remembered. You notice how I talked about the moose in vivid detail. You remember how I talked about the lake? Because in that moment, we were focused on getting to the top. But at the same time, we were enjoying the journey along the way. We were enjoying the freshwater lake. We were enjoying the moose. We were enjoying the tiny little pond off to the side where there was a whole bunch of rainbow trout that they were netting. It was crazy and awesome. But we had to be intentional about enjoying the journey and understanding that there will be a time when we will get to the top. There will be that moment when we finally arrive and get to see everything. But in this moment, we're going to take in what we're seeing. And better than anybody else that I know of in the Bible, David was a master at this. We talked about how there are things in our life that come up and opportunities, and David is one that constantly, constantly, constantly had things come up in his life. And one of the first and most pivotal of his life we find in 1 Samuel chapter 17. In 1 Samuel 17, the nation of Israel is at war, like always. They're literally never not at war, it seems like. And they are fighting with these people known as the Philistines. Okay, And the Philistines are big, they're nasty, they're scary. And so they come up with this great idea. They said, you know what? We've been killing each other for years. Let's try something 
new. We still want to kill you and take your land. Don't get us wrong. But let's do it different this time, okay? Instead of fighting all of our guys against all of your guys, let's do mano y mano. You pick your best warrior. We'll pick our best warrior. And the winner gets all, okay? Whoever wins, we'll do a battle to the death. Whoever comes out on top, if we win, you got to leave. And if you win, we'll leave. Are you good with that, Israel? And Israel's like, sure, yeah, that sounds like a good deal. As they're shaking hands, this behemoth of a man starts strutting up just like me. Right, Isaac? Real behemoths were pink, right? Here comes this guy named Goliath. And Goliath, you may have heard of him, you may not have. It's a classic phrase in the sports world, I feel like. David versus Goliath. Goliath, which we don't always realize, is an actual giant. Some historic scholars go back and forth. Was he seven feet tall, eight feet, nine feet? It doesn't really matter. The point is, the dude's huge, okay? He is absolutely massive. And Goliath comes from a village and a people known as Gath. And Gath, literally, they have the DNA and the genetics that just produces giants. And to make things more problematic, because they're mammoths, because they're huge, because they're ripped out of their mind and seven feet tall, they literally train and groom their sons to be warriors from the moment they are born. So they literally say, you know what? You're going to be a warrior. So they start training them from the time they're two years old, three years old, four years old. So by the time they are of age to fight a battle, they're unstoppable. And so the Philistines are sly because they know they've got this absolute ringer over here. And they're like, yeah, let's get this done because you're not going to beat him. And so as this is happening... Goliath struts out, and Israel's over here on the other side of the valley going, we need new pants. <laughs> because I have pee running down my leg right now. Welcome to the bridge, y'all. <laughs> They're literally standing at this thing just going, what did we get ourselves into? And look what it says here in 1 Samuel 17. For 40 days, every morning and evening, the Philistine champion strutted out in front of the Israelite army. For 40 days, Israel is watching this man just say, come on, challenge me, bring it on. And for 40 days, they're literally saying... Who's going to go? Do you want to go? I'm not going. They're drawing straws over there. They're doing rock, paper, scissors. They're trying to figure out who is going to draw the luck to go fight this guy because they know they're dead. They know they can't win this battle. And so while all this is going on, in some tiny little quiet village, there's a little guy named David, probably smaller than me, okay? We're just saying a lot. Can I just say that? David just... He's a shepherd boy, just looking at the clouds and the, the valley. What's going on? Oh, there's my sheep. His dad says, you know what? Your brothers are fighting for the nation of Israel. I want you to make sure they're still alive. So David, I'm sending you to the front line of battle, and I want you to check on them. And David's like, okay, dad, sounds good, whatever. So he goes there. He goes to the front lines, and he gets there, and he sees what's going on. He sees this big old hunky, huge dude who's annoyingly large his stuff. And as the youngest of the family, the runt, the scrawny one, he 
gets there and he sees what's going on. He's outraged. She's like, what is going on? Who, who is this guy that he can think he can beat us? Who is this guy that like, that, that thinks he can defy God? And I can imagine his brothers going, okay, scrappy dude, just calm down. Okay. Like, of course we're scared. Like you're two inches tall. What are you going to do against a giant? Okay. That small man mentality that I don't have. But David's like, you know what? Just let's go out there. What's wrong with you guys? Are you just wimps? What's going on? And then he says this. I love this. Here we go. We're going to dive into scripture right here. Verse 32, 1 Samuel 17. Don't worry about this Philistine, David told Saul. I'll go fight him. And the king Saul says, don't be ridiculous. There's no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You're only a boy. And he's been a man of war since his youth. But David persisted. I have been taking care of my father's sheep and goats, he said. When a lion or a bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club, and I rescue the lamb from its mouth. If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and club it to death. I have done this to both lions and bears, and I'll do it to this pagan Philistine too. For he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. Okay? David might be a small man, but he's wrestling bears and lions with his bare hands in a club. Okay? I can honestly say I've never done that. I might want to try though. It'd be pretty awesome. My wife shaking her head. No, she must have confidence in me. He's literally saying, "You know what? I'm not concerned about this man because I have wrestled lions. I have wrestled bears. The God who has helped me there is going to help me here." So let's dive back in here, and then I'll unpack this here. David was so ready to go that he just jumped right in. And so the king's like, you know what? We've been sitting here for 40 days. Nobody's moved. Sure, kid. You want to take a shot at it? Go ahead. But before you go, I'm going to put my armor on you because I don't want you to go into battle unequipped. So David, again, small man. King Saul's a big man. He's a warrior. He's a king. He tries putting on his armor. And if you ever try to put me in a 2XL shirt, it goes down to my knees. Doesn't look good. Okay? There's a reason I have to shop in the kids section. It's the only thing that makes me look good. True story. Sometimes I wear kids extra large. True story. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Good things come in small packages, okay? So literally, he tries to put on his armor and it just drowns him. I love what it says here. We're going to just finish up with this right here and then we'll stop talking about a crazy bunch of stuff. David says in verse 39, I can't go in these. I'm not used to them. So David took them off. And he picked up five smooth stones from a stream and put them into his shepherd's bag. And then armed only with his shepherd's staff and a sling, he started across the valley to fight the Philistine. Goliath walked out toward David with his shield bearer ahead of him. Goliath has an armored breastplate. He's got his huge sword that's about the size of David. He's got an armor bearer going before him carrying his armor. And here comes David with his little wrist rocket and five rocks, okay? First 42, sneering in contempt at this ruddy-faced boy. Am I a dog? He roared at David. That you come at me with a stick? And he cursed David by the names of his gods. 
Come over here and I'll give your flesh to the birds and wild animals, Goliath yelled. But David replied to the Philistine, You come to me with sword, spear, and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. And today the Lord will conquer you, and I will kill you and cut off your head. Sorry, kids in the room. And then I will give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel, and everyone assembled here will know the Lord rescues his people, but not with sword and spear. This is the Lord's battle, and he will give you to us. And as Goliath moved closer to attack, David quickly ran out to meet him, reaching into his shepherd's bag, taking out a stone. He hurled it with his sling and hit the Philistine in the forehead. And the stone sank in, and Goliath stumbled and fell face down on the ground. This little tiny boy equipped with these little pebbles and rocks he found in the stream with his slingshot that he has tucked in his back pocket goes against a seven foot behemoth who's got armor, who's got experience, who's got all this different stuff and it's so easy to go man, that's crazy what an awesome miracle but the miracle is not in the fact that God just massively just dropped this man the miracle is how confident David was did you catch that? he didn't say you know what? I'm just going to, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to, he roars at me. He didn't say, okay, hold on. Did I reconsider this? He goes, he ran out to meet him and started slinging his slingshot. He was confident because he knew he was going to win. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine going into a situation like that where you are so confident, so unconcerned with what is facing you because you're so aware of what's behind you? Can you imagine that? The thing of our life is we have to realize that there are giants in our life that come up out of nowhere. There are giants in your life that you're even facing right now. And just like Goliath did with the rest of Israel, it can seem so consuming, so large that you can't even move. That you're so stunted by this giant that's in your life. Maybe it's a financial giant. Maybe it's a relational giant. Maybe it's something that you are just so desperate for God to move in and you just you can't see any breakthrough. And this huge giant is sitting there intimidating you, roaring at you, trying to make you scared, trying to keep you from fighting your battle. But we have to realize that it's not about the size of the giant. It's about the size of the God that's behind you. It's about the size of the God that is trying to instill in you that the power was never in David. The power was never in his slingshot. It wasn't like like Mike where he has the special slingshot that all of a sudden can now kill giants. The power was in David's obedience. The power was in David saying, I'm going to step out in faith knowing that this giant will fall. And that is where I think the true miracle is found. The giant was an opportunity for David. It was never meant to be an obstacle. The giant was an opportunity for himself and for the nation of Israel to see that nothing can come against God. Nothing. You can have all the worldly stuff on your side. You can have all the training, all the size, all the experience. But nothing 
can come against what God wants to do in your life. Nothing. But to do so, you got to pick up your slingshot. David knew he won, but he still had to walk it out. David knew that he could get over this thing, but he still had to be aware that it took that step of faith of knowing God would come through. I think my favorite part about the whole story is that time and time again, people tried to tell David that he couldn't do it. Time and time again, they tried to arm him. They tried to equip him. They tried to defend him with the ways of the world. They tried to say, you know what, David? You, you can't do this. You're not big enough. Oh, yeah? Well, I've wrestled bears, so yeah, I can. Okay, well, if at least if you're going to go, at least put on this armor. Take this big sword because you're going to need it. And David's like, no, this is uncomfortable to me. This is not who I am. And so I'm going to use what I do know, which is my slingshot. And when I was in Israel and we studied this story, it was very fascinating because they talked to us about the life of a shepherd. The life of a shepherd literally spends all of his days, day and night, out in the field underneath the stars. Because their job, they don't have fences, they don't have pens, they don't have farms, they purely have their sheep. And so the shepherd literally is charged with keeping them alive. Fending off bears, fending off wolves, fending off predators. Spending day and night in the sh- with the sheep out in the middle of nowhere. And I can see this vivid picture. If you're out in the middle of nowhere with nothing to do but sheep keeping you company, you got to find something to do or else you're going to start going crazy. And so just like when I was eight years old hunting with my dad and I was bored stiff from the duck boat, he brought a BB gun and I started shooting the decoys. I can see the same thing happening with little David here. He's got a slingshot. Let's see if I can just hit this rock over there. Missed it by a mile. Let's try this again. Day after day, day after day, day after day, day after day, he starts working with this slingshot. For no reason other than the fact that I'm bored. But God had been preparing him for this moment. That God used his experiences that he's had in his life to glorify him. I am so tired of these things saying, here's what you need to do in your life to be successful. They might be great principles, but the reality is that you were born with personalities, you were born with gifts, you were born with quirks that only you can use and the only are unique to you. And so instead of trying to mold your life into this business executive that's super successful, instead of trying to be Steve Jobs, instead of trying to be uh, XYZ, whoever it is, how about we be ourselves? Because when we are ourselves, that's when God can move. God wasn't trying, or David wasn't trying to be Saul. He wasn't trying to be his brothers. He wasn't trying to be a warrior with all of the experience. He was simply himself. And when God said, I want you to go, I want you to move, he went. Because he knew that all of the stuff leading up to his life to this point would be used by God for something powerful. If we say yes. I'm 25. I'm young. You guys have seen a lot of life that I haven't seen yet. And it can be hard to take advice from somebody like me sometimes. Because you're just, you're just a kid. I am just a kid. But can I just tell you that there have been giants in my life that I have come face to face with. That I have conquered. I'm not up here to say I've conquered the giant. What's up? I'm up here to tell you that when I am face to face with the giant... I have seen and felt God move in my life. 
in a powerful and crazy way. When I am staring down this giant and I feel like David Rob got this little tiny slingshot. And I am literally like this looking up to this giant. I have seen God do crazy things. I have seen the giant of my mom going to jail unexpectedly when I was 13. I have seen the giant of coming face to face with clinical depression for three or four months. I have come face to face with the giant of going through one of the toughest and most heartbreaking losses I have in the last year. And every single time there's that giant, God's whispering, don't try to be somebody else. Be yourself. Trust that I will get you through this. Don't try and say, you know what, Derek, you're a pastor, so you just gotta, you just gotta man up. You've lived enough life by now, Derek. You just, you need to be strong. Just have faith. Just, you know what, Derek? Just, just, just believe. Okay, you're not allowed to be sad. You're not allowed to be upset. You're not allowed to be this because you're a pastor. And if you really believe God, you won't even be concerned. You won't even be worried. And I've learned that God has made my heart the way he has. And so instead of trying to fight it, instead of trying to say, you know what, this is how I'm supposed to react, I'm just going to react how God's called me to react. Instead of trying to fit this mold of who I am, I'm just going to trust the process. Because when you walk that line of faith, being yourself, crazy things happen. There are things you walked into this place with today. Giants. Maybe you just conquered a giant. Maybe your giant's coming in the coming days or coming years or whatever it is. Can I just tell you, don't fear the giant. Fear not saying yes to the God who can do something in your life. Because I wonder if David wouldn't have taken his slingshot and defeated that giant, what would have happened? Countless thousands of people want to have seen God do a miracle. And those thousands of people want to have started to believe in Him. If David wouldn't have done that miracle, he wouldn't have had that assurance that God would be with him. Because once he did that, in years to come, he would become a king. A king that led the nation of Israel. And in those moments as a king, when he's feeling insecure, when he's trying to lead his nation, he now has the assurance that God delivered me from the lion and the bear. God delivered me from the giant. God delivered me from XYZ, so why wouldn't he do it again? My goal for you this morning, we know who the enemy is. We know that the enemy, Satan, is out to destroy our lives. We know he's out here, but you know what? We also have a God who's out here who's fighting for us. And by faith, if we walk this life of faith, we call it a faith walk, not a faith destination. You don't just believe in God and all of a sudden now, life is great, life is rainbows, I've arrived. It's a faith walk because step by step by step by step, you learn what it's like to trust God. And sometimes that step, sometimes that journey is like the 10,000 foot tree line where you're falling, you're, 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 nicking, you're nicking your shins on the rocks. It's painful, it's tough, but you keep on walking. It is a faith walk. Derek, I screwed up. If you only knew what I did last week, last week, if you only knew who I am, you would say differently, and I would say, no, actually. Because I've seen God move in my life when I didn't deserve it. I've seen people in the Word who kill people, deceive people, and He still saves them. 
We can look at David as the hero right here. And here's what's awesome about God. David did something awesome here. But in years to come, David will sleep with another man's wife, get that man killed, and be very deceptive. But when you read the Bible, you read that David is a man after God's own heart. And so my challenge to you is to walk this thing called a faith walk. Because there are going to be bumps. There are going to be bruises. There are going to be times when you fall. There are going to be times when you triumph and you stand up. There are going to be victories and losses. But the only true victory, the only true loss is if you stop walking or keep walking. If you will vow that, you know what, I'm going to trust God. It's not comfortable right now. It's not easy right now. But I'm going to trust Him because I know He's faithful. I promise you He will come through. But to do it, you need to understand who you are. Some of the greatest freedom that I have found in my life is not that some people can go to a coffee shop and sit down with their AirPods in and listen to music and read their Bible for two hours. That's not my jam. My jam is to be sitting out in Mother Nature with my shotgun leaned up against my duck blind. When all is quiet, when all is still, I love to pull out my Bible and start to read. In those moments when I'm feeling the weight of the world and I'm stressed and I'm crazy, I love to just put on my headphones and start to run because that's what I love to do. And in those moments, that's when I can get alone I can pray to God. I can worship to God. When life is crazy and I'm driving from meeting to meeting, I can turn on worship music and still praise God because that is how I operate. Your faith walk is your own. And so whatever it is that you do, do it to serve God. In Matthew chapter 7, I love what it says here. Keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. If you seek after God, if you look for Him in an earnest way, I promise you, you will find Him. He's not Simon, okay? Or Waldo, not Simon. Good grief. I'm getting my childhood games mixed up. It's not a game of where's Waldo if I dance right, if I pray right, if I worship right. There's God all of a sudden. It says if you seek Him, you will find Him. And in Hebrews chapter 4, this is something I live by. Let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive mercy and find grace to help us when we need it most. God is available to you whenever you want Him. You don't have to have your life in order. You don't have to have it all figured out. You don't even know how to pray right. If you earnestly ask God to come into your life, in your situation, He will. And step by step on this thing we call the faith walk, step by step you learn how to trust more. You learn how to seek more. So that when things come your way and new giants come your way, you will not be shaken. Because God is on your side. So we know the enemy. We know our task. It's that simple. Life is complicated. It certainly is. I'm not saying just believe in Jesus and everything goes away. I'm saying believe in Jesus and you will see a shift. A shift in your perspective. A shift in your attitude. A shift in your strength. Because in the years to come, when the good happens, you will be a saying yes and be excited. When the bad comes, you will weather the storm. But you just got to keep on walking. 
to real practically. Maybe that means you find a devotional on your iPhone or your iPad that's easy. Maybe it means you listen to podcasts. Maybe you listen, you listen to worship music. Whatever it is, be you. And learn out what works for you. And if you need help, I'm here available to do that. I know Heather is here. Our staff is amazing. But just make it your own. And slowly but surely let God into your life in whatever way that looks like. Will you pray with me this morning? God, I thank you for every single person in this room. God, for those who are in the valley, who are facing their giant, may they know, Jesus, that you are behind them, you are before them, that you will carry them through whatever it is that's in their life. And God, for those who aren't in there, who are on the mountaintop and they're celebrating, may they find the joy in that. May they thank you for the blessings you brought to us. God, we are desperate for you to be personal to us like David was to you. God, we want to be personal. We want to be close to you. We want to seek you whenever we can, God. It doesn't have to be formal. It doesn't have to be rigid or traditional. It can just be real. So God, we know the enemy's out there, but God, we know you're bigger. And we know that you want to do something awesome in our lives. So whatever that looks like, may everyone in this room, whether they've been serving you for years, whether they've never served you before, may they just say, Jesus, will you come into my life? And will you show them that you are? Lord, we thank you. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have a great week, unless you're a Packers fan. Then I hope you have a terrible week. (laughs) And if not, I love y'all anyway. Peace. This has been a podcast of The Bridge Church. Have a great week. Stop in Sunday sometime and visit. If you would like to give, you can do so online at sfbridge.org. Have a great week.